0: Amen. The text this morning is from the Gospel of John. I'll be finishing chapter 18, the last two verses, and then going on through 19, verse 22. These are the words of God. But you have a custom, this is Pilate speaking, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put him, on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to, him, said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover in about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went out to a place a place called the place of a skull which is called in Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two others with him one on either side and Jesus in the center Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew Greek and Latin Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. These are the words of God. Father, thank you for your word and for the story of Jesus given to us by the Apostle John and inspired by your Holy Spirit. This being the case, there is much here for us to understand and to live by. And so open our eyes through the preaching of your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, you might find it helpful to follow along as we go through these, these uh, verses. The previous verse that, um, of this passage where we ended last time, verse 38, Pilate said, what is the truth? And then when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, and this is really an announcement, a, his judicial declaration, I find no fault in him at all not guilty, not guilty. Now, if Pilate had been a man of integrity, his judicial decision would have ended the matter, and that would have been it. He was declared not guilty. No, I find no fault in him. Instead, for many reasons, many reasons that are taking place, some of them we see here, he offered to release Jesus in accordance with a custom at that season that had begun, and that would be at the Passover week. There would be the release of one of the uh, prisoners um, as kind of an offering, a little bit like uh, we might see the, the president pardon a turkey um, on Thanksgiving. Um, it, it would be a way that the, that the Romans, who were not in great relationship in, in Jerusalem and in, in Judea, would, would try to appease um, and, and placate uh, the Jews in some ways as they had this celebration, trying to keep, things the, keep the peace as these, these uh, big celebrations were going on in the city. Well, so he makes this offer, but it goes bad for Pilate, and it goes worse for the Jewish authorities and the crowd that they corral. Mocking, threatening, and humiliation goes back and forth, and in the end, Jesus is sent to be crucified. That's what comes of it. In the midst of it all, the love of God over his son provides Jesus with perfect strength. And it is worth noting as you go through the passage the difference between the fear that Pilate has, his irritation with the Jews and with Jesus, the, the irritation that the, the, the Jewish authorities, the chief priests have with the situation they've tried to scheme and make happen, and yet it seems like it's almost not going to happen, their irritation and finally threatens, threatenings to, um, to Pilate. And his going along with it, and yet, uh, and yet seeking to publicly humiliate the Jewish authorities, all the while Jesus standing, knowing who the real enemy is, knowing exactly what he has come to do. So this is the strength of perfect peace, as it says in Isaiah, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, for he trusts in you. If nothing else in this passage, one of the first things that we can see is, and, and learn is how we can stay in perfect peace in the midst of whatever turmoil God has brought if we, like Jesus and Isaiah says, we keep our mind stayed on God, on who he is, on his eternal providence, on his eternal purposes. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, for he trusts in you. Now, I'd like to go through kind of in in sections here and and do a little bit of a detailed overview, pulling out a number of of observations I think John is inviting us to see as we go through his version of of this this trial and then crucifixion of Jesus. Um, John, as I've said before, doesn't follow the synoptics in a lot of the details and instead brings out some other details, and we'll we'll be taking a look at that. So it begins, of course, with him uh, saying, "'I find no fault in him.'" And, and he, he senses the tension already, and so he, he wants to see Jesus released. So he offers up Barabbas. Barabbas is a, um, uh, not just a robber, the, the word is robber here, but the other, the other synoptics make the point that he was an insurrectionist and a murderer. Um, the Jewish authorities would not have wanted him released. He was an insurrectionist not on their side. He was a a troublemaker. He was going to bring problems to to their city if if he was allowed to to do his guerrilla antics. And so they don't want Barabbas Barabbas released. And Pilate knows that. And so so this is the plan that I I believe that he has in his mind. It's time to release a prisoner. They are not going to want Barabbas. I will offer them Barabbas or Jesus. And then they will select Jesus, and Jesus will be released, and it, they will be able to say, everybody will save face. Everybody will save face. The bad guy stays in prison. Jesus is brought forward like he's one of the, like he's one of the um, guilty ones, but then is released, um, and now, now Pilate doesn't have to worry about it. But what he doesn't realize is there's no way that the Jewish authorities, the chief priests, there's no way they're going to buy that. They need him Put away. They need Jesus crucified. So um, it, it, they, they vehemently reject the offer in, in, verse, uh, in verse 40. They, they say, Not this man, but Barabbas. And I think that surprises and sets Pilate back. So Pilate basically tries again, verses 1 through 4 in, uh, in chapter 19. He takes he goes back into the Praetorium, this area of the Praetorium that the Jews aren't in. He goes back and he goes to see Jesus, and he has Jesus scourged. Um, now, I don't think this is the final scourging that takes place. I think if you look at all the accounts, there's there's an initial scourging that is he's flogged. It's it's painful, but it's not the scourging. There's there's different Greek words that are actually used. It's not the scourging that is, is done um, with the nails and the, and the sharp shards that are tied in, and the, and the man is lashed until he has no skin at all hanging on his backside. Um, and, and part of that would be done, particularly before the crucifixion, again, part of the humiliation, but also to make the man so weakened that he would not hang on the cross um, too long to be a, a problem for the soldiers, Roman soldiers. And so, that, that, I don't think that's the flogging. I think what he's doing here is he's, he's, he's uh, humiliating Jesus. I'm going to humiliate him. Meanwhile, the soldiers put together a crown of thorns, possibly super long thorns that would have been woven together, stuck upon his head, causing more bleeding and more pain and more humiliation. Then they throw a purple robe over him. And now, um, a- after they do this, Pilate then goes out to the Jews again, and he repeats his verdict that Jesus is innocent. Notice, notice he, he, so he does all of those things um, that after, after, they, um, after they put the crown on his head, then the soldiers um, bow down in some kind of mocking fashion to him, hail king of the Jews, and they get up and strike him. Um, and so again, there's just this humiliation and irony and sarcasm that's all going on. Pilate in verse four goes out again and says, behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him hidden behind the scenes, hidden underneath that text is the idea, but I beat him up really bad so that you kind of get what you want. Is that enough for you, right? And so, verse 5, Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And then Pilate says to them, he's, he's bloodied, he's dressed in this purple robe, and then mockingly to both Jesus and the Jews, Pilate cries out, Behold the man. Now, John tells us that particularly, um, I believe i mean i, I mean that's that 's what he says, but when he says that it's it 's a mocking this, this is your man but but listen to the words of zechariah in zechariah. The prophet Zechariah was told to make a crown of silver and gold and to set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, as the, in, in the reestablishment of the temple. This is during the, the return from the exile. The temple is, being re, is rebuilt, and Joshua is crowned. And when, when Joshua is crowned, this is the son of the high priest, then, then they are told to proclaim, Zechariah is told to proclaim, behold the man. Listen to Zechariah six eleven through 13. Take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man, whose name is the branch." And they and they knew the story of the branch from the prophecies of Isaiah, the branch that would come forth from Jesse that would bring forth the new Jerusalem, the, the, the revival of, of, of the people of God. But he goes on, he goes and listen listen to the words from Zechariah. He says, From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord, he shall bear he shall bear the glory, and shall sit on and rule on his throne. So she so he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of people. Peace shall be be between them both. This is the promise that was being made to to the high priest in the reestablishment of the temple. So, um, but instead, instead we have the chief priests and the officers, instead of receiving the man, so the, the chief priests and scribes, they know Zechariah. They know Zechariah a lot better than you do. They've been waiting for the, this Messiah to come. They've been waiting 400 years for this Messiah to finally show up. When, 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 when Pilate says, behold the man, they know Zechariah. They know the prophecies. And, and, and they know that that was going to be the establishment of the king in the new temple. And they say, their response to, to this, when he says, behold the man, the chief of priests and officers saw him and they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. Pilate says again, you take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. So he's, he's bewildered in terms of what's going on here. So, and I want you to notice this. Peter denied Jesus three times. And now for the third time, Pilate proclaims that he can find no fault in Jesus. He doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And so he tells the Jews to go and do the deed themselves. But they come back again. In verses 7 through 11, the Jews make clear that he should die because Jesus made himself the Son of God. They say, um, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. So to proclaim yourself to be the Son of God, to proclaim yourself to be deity, is blasphemy. Unless, of course, you are divine. Unless, of course, you are the Son of God. But they don't believe he's the Son of God. And so they believe he should be put to death for, for blasphemy. And this is what they're now arguing for. And when they say that, no, notice what it says. It says that uh, Pilate heard that saying, and he was the more afraid. Or um, it could be translated, he was very greatly afraid. And, and we might miss that. But be, because of the superstitiousness of the, Rome, of, of the Roman world, um, the claim that Jesus was some kind of God was not so implausible. He claimed to be the son of God, and I just whipped him. Yeah, like I, that that would cause that would cause a moment of fear in somebody who believed that there were gods, that there were gods among the men. So he was very much afraid and takes Jesus back into the praetorium and he says to him, Where are you from? I I, I wa- where are you from? But Jesus remains silent. Jesus does not reply at all. And, and this just Rouses Pilate all the more. He, he, he's, he's thinking to himself, I'm, I am the man, the whole crowd wants you crucified. I am the one man who can stop it. And you're not going to talk to me? Right? That's what, that, that's what he's thinking. So, so he says, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Don't you know that I have the power? I have your life in my hands. Jesus replies, Basically, Nah. Jesus says, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has a greater sin. So, first of all, he says, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Jesus knows where all authority comes from. All human authority All human authority is delegated authority. All human authority in all of the different roles that God places men is is delegated authority. It has been granted and given to you by God, if you have any place of authority, and you will be answering to God for the use of that authority that he has granted to you. So Jesus knows that, and and then he also knows that even the vilest use of power cannot escape God's sovereignty— while at the same time rendering guilty, though, um, rendering guilty those who are free, responsible agents. It, it will, it, he knows that the only way Pilate can have him put to death is if God grants him the ability to put him to death, and if God grants him the ability to do that, it will still be held against Pilate as his own, pers- as an own, his own personal agency for having done the wrong. God will have predestined it, and Pilate will be fully guilty for the sin. And Jesus knows this, but he also knows something else. In this last phrase, he says, "'Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin.'" So Jesus says that those with more knowledge have the greater sin than Pilate, who is sinning in ignorance. And he turns, really, turns the tables um, on the Jewish authorities, on the chief priests, and says, they who know, they, sh- they know Zechariah, they know the prophecies, they're looking for the messianic hope, They've seen, they, they have seen me, some of them saw me raise Lazarus from the dead. They've seen my signs. The, the signs were given so that they might believe. But, but God instead used that to simply darken their hearts to their sin of, of, of wanting to keep their corrupted power, of, be, of being their own gods. Pilate is, is worried that Jesus might be a god, and the chief priests want to be gods. That's what they want to be. And they are going to put Jesus, the son of God, to death so they can be God. And this is what we do. We push away Jesus, and when we push away Jesus, we push away Jesus because we want to be God. God. But when we push away Jesus, the only the only reason anybody can ever push away Jesus is because God allows them to push away Jesus, and when they do that, they are held completely at they, they are com- completely at fault and guilty for their lack of belief or for or for denying that which has been given to them. I would say to the children, to the children here growing up in Christian homes, to reject that which you have been but which you have been trained in. To walk away from that which you have been trained in is a greater sin than Pilate's sin. You should see that from the text. To walk away from the Lord Jesus Christ, having been given the knowledge in your homes, in your generation, all that has been granted and given to you, and then to walk away from that, Jesus says, that's a greater sin than what Pilate is doing, what Pilate did. The the, the knowledge of the Lord that is being bestowed upon you as your parents train you up in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord is the greatest gift you could ever have, humanly speaking. It is the greatest gift better than anything else. It is your train to eternal life. You are to take it, believe it, you are to, you are to be, become wet from it, and you are to eat it at this table. And then you are to walk in it all the days of your life, and you are, to let, you are to let the God Spirit grow you up in it. And if you don't, if you dare not to, you will walk away from the greatest gift that has ever been given to you. And as you walk away from the greatest gift that has ever been given to you, God will say, what you are doing is worse than what Pilate did. Do not walk away from the greatest gift that has been ever given to you. That's one of the first things I think you should see, um, children particularly, in, in this passage. Well, the politics of Pilate and the blasphemy of the Jews then just becomes uh, way out in the open here in, in verses 12 through 16. The Jews paint Pilate into a political corner in, in verse 12. Um, from, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. They, they paint him into this political corner, threatening to give report to Tiberius Caesar, who was known um, to, to uh, become very suspicious if there were bad reports coming back with regard to those princes that he had put in, in or governors that he had put in different parts of his empire. Um, and in fact, uh, Josephus writes that that Pilate already had been kind of tattled on a few times to Caesar and and. And, and uh, Caesar knew that Pilate was not well liked and was causing some trouble that could bring threats to the to the empire. There, this would lead eventually to the Jewish wars um, a couple of decades later. But but he's already he's really kind of already on um, on deck for trouble. And and so and the Jews know that. And so that's why they turn and say these they they're they're just going to use their political games to get um, uh, to get Pilate to 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 do what they want him to do. Pilate concedes, but even as he concedes, he does so rendering as much humiliation as possible upon the chief priests and the officers. And so when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out, sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. That's worth thinking, uh, unpacking a little bit as well. He brings Jesus out onto this place called the pavement, where the judgment seat was for rendering public sentencing. Now, um, it, it was a, a portion of the temple where a common place existed for the Gentiles to enter. And so it would be a place where the, where the uh, Gentile officers could come in and declare to the Jews in the temple if a man was guilty or if there was some crime that needed to be um, sent, a sentence made for. Um, and it was, a, it was elevated and it was paved with smooth stones, hence the name, the pavement. Now in the text, the Greek is ambiguous. It's either, either possibility is really happening. Either Pilate sits in that judgment seat or possibly, and more ironically, he seats Jesus in the bema, the judgment seat. He seats Jesus in the bema. In either case, what, what he does is he, he brings him out and brings him out. And, and the thing that he says, he does not say the man is guilty. He, he refuses to, we never have him here saying that that he is guilty. Instead, he turns to the Jews with Jesus at his side again, either sitting or or him sitting in the judgment seat, and he says, "Behold your king." There he goes again. "Behold your king." Jesus himself said that you, know, that you just need to think about this. Jesus himself said that he was the new temple in John two nineteen, and here they are in the temple. And we also know that he is the stone that the builders rejected. We sang that in in Psalm 118. That's quoted in Matthew 21, 42. And we are told directly that that is about Jesus Christ is the stone, the cornerstone. He is the stone that was rejected. And it is here, when when all of this takes place, it is here that the Jews cry out, away with him, crucify. And Pilate pokes them again, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests now disown their king, their God, their Messiah, and any messianic hope. And they do so for expediency's sake. They do so to keep their political power. They do so to keep their way. They say, the chief priests answered, verse 15, (coughs) we have no king but Caesar. You have no king but Caesar? Psalm 44, 4. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Psalm 74, 12. For God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Mary, in her song, Luke 1 he will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest. Actually, this is not Mary's song. This is, um, this is the um, angel. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus himself, John 12:13. Um, is brought in, in uh, just a week earlier. He's brought in on, on Palm Sunday. And, and the people take palm branches, and it says in John 12, they took branches of, of palm trees, went out to meet him, and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. In the other Gospels, um, the, the, uh, the chief priests turn to Jesus and say, would you shush them, shush them? And Jesus says, but it's true. Even, even, if, even if we stop them, then the rocks and stones would cry out. Jesus attests to his own kingship, um, and as, as do all of the, uh, all, through, all throughout Scripture, um, that God is their king, and that Jesus is the, this king that was promised. And yet, the chief priests, the, chi- the leaders of, of the Jewish people, call out, We have no king but Caesar. Pirates' cowardly hands were tied. In fact, the other Gospels tell us that his wife sends, sends a message to him and says, to have nothing to do with this man, for I've had dreams that have, have bothered me all, all day. She was having some kind of visions. Do not deal with this man. He's afraid now this might be a god. He's got all the political pressure coming from the people he's supposed to be ruling that they're going to, they're going to re- write, send reports to Caesar about his mishandling, and especially his mishandling of someone who claims to be a king, threatening Caesar himself. Pilate's hands are tied because he's a coward. Pilate's hands are tied because he's a coward. And so he says, crucify him and hands Jesus over. And this is probably where the extremely violent scourging would take place to weaken the criminal. He says, then he delivered him to them to be crucified. And that would have included this next scourging. So they took Jesus and led him away. Now, it was common for those condemned to bear the horizontal beam of the cross after the scourging. That was not unique for Jesus. After, after the sentence was declared, um, there would be a, this, this public ridicule as he would have to, the, the man would have to carry, having been scourged now, he would have to carry, bleeding, this beam that he, that he would carry all the way out to Golgotha, where he would then be crucified. Um, and so, so that wasn't unusual. Also, when he's nailed to the cross... Um, and, it's, and, and, and what would normally happen is that criminals would have their crime that they were sentenced for nailed to that cross as well. So these are not unique. This is what would happen to the, to the criminals when they were going to be killed. When that happens, he is taken out to Golgotha. And maybe you remember this, but um, you oftentimes forget that Golgotha is, is Hebrew and the Latin is Calvary. Calvary and Golgotha Both mean skull. When we sing songs of Calvary, we are singing songs of the place of the skull. That's what we're singing. To to give the good news of Calvary is to give the good news of the skull. Isn't that strange? But it's not, it's glorious. And here's why. Um, Most likely it was called the place of the skull, um, and historians write that because it kind of looked, it had the shape that it looked like a skull naked, bleeding, nailed to the cross, the ghoulish, torturous death was to bring the greatest shame upon the victim. The crimes for which one was crucified would be written on a tablet and attached to the cross. And so Pilate, again, to provoke the Jews, wrote the king of the Jews, and he did so in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin so everybody could read it. And this incensed the Jews. Do not not say the king of the Jews. Say he said he was the king of the Jews. That's why he's being crucified. And, And Pilate will have nothing to do with it. He says, what I've written, I have written. Now, John has more to tell us, but I'm going to stop there for now and ask what we need to ask ourselves. So what happened here? What, what really happened? This form of death is, is on purpose rendered by the Romans to bring about the most public humiliation in the midst of an execution where there's slow, torturous death, hanging naked, on, on a cross in front of everyone, while you you slowly try to keep getting your breath until you finally suffocate and yet through all of this, we are told Jesus despised the shame in hebrews twelve two we are told to run the race just like Jesus looking to, and, and the cloud that is before us. Looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus have to suffer such a shameful death? Why couldn't they have just thrust a spear in him? Why, why could they not, not just taken off his head? Why in God's providence is Jesus given such a shameful death? It is so we would see that, according to Hebrews, we would see that not only did he bear, bear our sin, but he bore our shame. He bore our shame and our guilt. He, he bore the shame that you feel for all of your sin. You feel He bore the shame that you might experience because of the consequences of your sin. He, built, he bore the shame of, of po, possibly the shame that you have because of other people's sin against you. He took it all. He did not just take your sin, not just the penalty of your sin, but he took all of the shame and he despised it. He, he, he absorbed it. He took responsibility for all of it. He said, come here to me. I take your shame, all of it. I leave you not just innocent. I leave you righteous and holy. I leave you complete. I leave you healed. I leave you set for a path of eternity for with me forever. Sound mind, sound body, sound soul. It's all yours. I took it all for you. That's what he does. And I would say that some of us need to never forget that. Never forget that. What Jesus took for you on that cross. If Jesus was the Son of God, how could he be crucified? This was a scandal to the Jew. You, you, can't, you can't have a Messiah who's supposed to be freeing you, leading you away from the enemies, and have him crucified. That was, that was a, that's scandalous. That's an offense to have such a story. And to the Gentile, it made no sense at all. Peter, or Paul writing in 1 Corinthians But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. How is a king crucified a sign of victory? And you will find, you, you can speak to Orthodox Jews today, who, and that, that'll be one of their first things they'll say is, you cannot call him the Messiah. It's an offense that a Messiah w- that was going to free the people of the Jews was crucified. That makes no sense. And to the Greeks, it makes no sense because but you're, you're supposed to have somebody who is, who's, who's honorable, who's, who's a, great, a great seer, a great scribe, who's going to give us all this truth. And, and you, he, was just, he was just crucified. He was just killed. It's a shame. But we celebrate the cross. We wear crosses. Not as a sign of shame, but as a symbol of honor and, and, and union. We wear crosses as a badge of honor, identifying with his shame. We are baptized. We are baptized with the shame of his blood sprinkled upon us, with the glory of the waters of repentance and forgiveness and new life. We identify with his shame because it was ours he bore on the cross. And later, the disciples would rejoice to share in that shame when they are punished. Understanding the shame that he took for you is part of what God uses to equip you to handle all that God may give you in the trials, and particularly in trials of persecution for being a Christian around you. Listen to Acts chapter 5, notes the difference. Chapter 5, verse forty. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. He bore your shame, and if, if you receive this by faith, it strengthens you to join with him in any shame that you have to bear in naming the name of Christ. Rejoicing that you are even united with Christ in his shape. Paul would write similarly while he is in prison. Paul, preaching the gospel faithfully, ends up in prison. And as he writes from prison, he writes these words in Philippians 3. He's in prison for preaching Jesus. That's it. That's the reason he's in prison. And he writes, writes these words, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet I indeed also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them all as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Call yourself a Christian and unite yourself to the death and shame of Jesus and you will find all of your sin and shame is buried with him. And you are, you are risen with Christ, a new man, a new woman, forgiven to be glorified with him in all of his glory. And so note what Paul says about this crucifixion. He writes in Colossians chapter 2, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And then he says this, And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. When we look to Calvary, we are to see with eyes of faith, not shame, not death, not, um, not loss, but victory, but victory. The moment of shame was actually the moment of conquest for those who have eyes to see, for those who are given faith. So what do you see? What do you see? What happened on Calvary? We can look at these events and notice Jesus triumphing over both the desires and actions of the Jews and Pilate. You can look and you can see, well, he triumphed over Pilate's schemes. He triumphed over the Jews' schemes. But something far deeper than that was taking place. He was triumphing over the devil himself. Nailing Jesus to the cross at Golgotha was the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, where God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus, just as Jael drove a spike into the skull of Sisera, so Jesus, the seed of the virgin woman, drove his spike, the cross, into the place of the skull, crushing the serpent's head. That's what John wants you to see. If you aren't looking with eyes of faith, you see shame and foolishness. But with eyes of faith, with eyes of faith, what we see is love so amazing, so divine, and a love that conquered sin and death. Your sin, your death. Romans 9.33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Father in heaven, open our eyes eyes that are blind, open eyes here that are blind to the good news, and eyes that have grown cloudy, forgetting what they've seen the Lord Jesus lifted up at Calvary. His victory over the devil, over sin and death is ours. Crowned with thorns of the curse, he conquered the curse. We praise your name for this glorious truth and embrace it as ours by the gift of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and respond, would you please turn to number 531.